This is Rosie Starr for Radio Catskill. Welcome to Farming Country. Locally produced radio about rural life in the Catskills and the Delaware River Valley. On today's show, Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report highlights the hazy glow of zodiacal light. Christine San Jose salutes a new year along the poet's row. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua greets the audience with a fresh take on his Hooked on Fishing report. And in her segment Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips shares her conversation with Nadia and Omawali from Liberation Farm in Jeffersonville, New York. All of that coming up on today's Farm and Country. First, news headlines from NPR. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Nora Rahm. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen is warning the U.S. is projected to reach its debt limit on Thursday. In a letter to Congress yesterday, she said the Treasury Department will use what she called extraordinary measures to avoid default, but even those measures will be exhausted by early June. Yellen called it critical that Congress raise the limit to protect the full faith and credit of the United States. White House Press Secretary Karine Jean-Pierre says the president won't agree to any congressional demands in exchange for an increase. We believe when it comes to the debt limit, it has been done in a bipartisan way uh, over the years uh, and uh, decades, and it should be done in a bipartisan way, and it should be done without conditions. That is important here. Some House Republicans want cuts in Social Security, Medicare, and Medicaid before they'll agree to raise the debt ceiling. At least 18 people have died in storms pummeling California. In Sonoma County, a man is mourning his wife, who was found dead after floodwaters swept her car from a road near the Russian River. Mark Albert of member station KRCB reports. With five children between them, the sudden loss of Mark Fontino's wife Daphne after more than two decades together has been shattering. I've lost my best friend, the love of my life. I know she's in a great place now. She's going to be, well, taken care of. I never imagined in my right mind that either she would be burying me, not me burying her. I'm just not ready for this. Fontino's body was found inside a vehicle Wednesday morning, submerged in about 10 feet of water. The car had been pushed about 100 yards off the road into a vineyard, according to the Sonoma County Sheriff's Office. For NPR News, I'm Mark Albert. Iran announced today the execution of a British-Iranian dual national. He had been convicted of spying for British intelligence. NPR's Peter Kenyon reports. Ali Reza Akbari's execution was reported in multiple Iranian media outlets, and news of his death drew an angry response from Britain. British Prime Minister Rishi Sunak called it a callous and cowardly act carried out by a barbaric regime with no respect for the human rights of their own people. Separately, Britain's foreign secretary said, quote, this will not stand unchallenged. Iranian authorities provided no evidence for the charge that Akbari was a source for MI6, Britain's secret intelligence service. The execution comes as Iran struggles to quell widespread public protests demanding the end of Iran's cleric-led regime. Peter Kenyon, NPR News, Istanbul. In Ukraine, Russian missiles struck residential areas in the capital, Kyiv, today. Local officials say at least 18 homes were damaged just outside the city. An advisor at the Ukrainian Ministry of Internal Affairs says there are information that the missiles had been fired from Belarus, where Russian troops have been training. This is NPR News.
This is Rosie Starr. Welcome back to Farming Country. Coming up on today's show, Christine San Jose salutes a new year in her narrations along the Poets Row. Sweetwater fishing guide Evan Padua greets the audience with a fresh take in his Hooked on Fishing report. In her segment Now You Know, Stephanie Phillips shares her conversation with Nadia and Amawali from Liberation Farm in Jeffersonville, New York. But first, here's Keith Hubbard's Star Talk report. Thank you for joining us on Radio Catskill for this week's locally produced Farm and Country. country. I'm Keith Hubbard, and this is Star Talk. Throughout February and extending into early May, the opportunity will exist to see a seasonal phenomenon known as zodiacal light. Zodiacal light is a hazy pyramid of light rising from the western horizon after sunset. This light will be visible low in the western sky up to an hour after twilight. Zodiacal light is sunlight that is being reflected off dust grains in the inner solar system. These dust grains spread out along the ecliptic and are thought to be the remnants of the process that created Earth and the other planets in our solar systems 4.5 billion years ago. The grains of dust cannot be seen individually, rather their tiny outputs of light combine to create a faint glow. This hazy, faint, pyramid-shaped glow is milkier in appearance than the Milky Way. Dark skies are needed to see the zodiacal light. The moon will not be in the sky at nightfall this week, making it possible to see the zodiacal light. Since zodiacal light is faint, it helps to use a trick known as averted vision. Averted vision is looking slightly off from where you are wanting to look. The most sensitive part of the retina is not in the center, but along the outer edge. Looking off allows the light to hit the most sensitive part of your retina, increasing the chance of seeing the object. Be sure to look to the west just after nightfall this week to try to spy the zodiacal light. If you have any questions, comments, or ideas for future Star Talk segments, my email address is startalk at farmandcountry.org. For Farm and Country and Star Talk, this has been Keith Hubbard reminding you to keep looking up. For WJFF and Farm and Country, This is Christine San Jose. Even along the poet's row, where we're so sturdy, not to say stalwart in mind and body, there's some recognition that this time of year can be tough. Here's Alfie from Cornwall, Tornado. 
The wind is strong, the sky is grey, the world is spinning like a balloon. The house is crashing down, left, right, and centre in the town. Backwards, forwards, the old world goes, sending spirals to your toes. Topple and topple, the people go, whistling, whistling in my ears. Mort Malkin of the Milanville Poets Unlimited puts a jolly gloss on things. Mort says, Midwinter winds, invisible, until the pines I planted ten years before say, Hear, hear. The god of storms, too, needs adoration. Okay, Mort, we'll do our best to honor the storms. Here's one from Ella Wheeler Wilcox, who usually you find in anthologies of bad poetry, but here's quite a nice one. New Year, she says, what can be said in New Year rhymes that's not been said a thousand times. The New Year's come, the old years go. We know we dream, we dream, we know. We rise up laughing with the light. We lie down weeping with the night. We hug the world until it sings. We curse it then and sigh for wings. We live, we love, we woo, we wed. We wreathe our rise, we sheet our dead, we laugh, we weep, we hope, we fear, and that's the burden of the year. May I wish you a happy new year. This has been Christine San Jose for Farm and Country, along the Poets Road. Here is Sweetwater Fishing Guide Evan Padua with a fresh-take approach to his hooked-on fishing report in this new year. Hello, all you hooked-on fishing listeners. Happy New Year. With the Happy New Year comes a happy new format of hooked-on fishing. Instead of writing reports and reading them to you uh, weekly or bi-weekly, this year I am going to record my hooked on fishing reports while on the river with my buddy fishermen or uh, fishing clients as I'm on the Delaware River over a hundred days a year and out here observing all kinds of beautiful things. January 4th, 2023, 55 degrees. We took advantage of this warm weather, got on the river at about 7 a.m. and we've put about 10 fish in the boat before 11 a.m have about eight walleye, uh, one fall fish, and one small brown trout, a couple bass as well, so maybe we're up over 10 a little bit, a couple smallmouth bass here in the, in January. Pretty good day for a mid-January fishing excursion. And the river came up overnight after some rain. Uh, it was at about 3,000 CFS at the Lordville Gauge, and it is over 5,000 in cresting, meaning it is about to drop in flow as well. So we're out here targeting about 6 to 12 feet of water with uh, steady about 0.5 to 1 mile an hour of current, looking for uh, walleye mostly to fill the cooler. Three per day, 18 inches on the Delaware River is the limit per person, three per day per person. 
and we're looking to put some walleye in the in the freezer and in the frying pan. They're delicious, white, flaky, freshwater fish. You can eat the fillets, the cheeks, the wings. Uh, it's a pretty delicious fish. Wings are, are kind of the front fins you can eat the meat off the bottom of. They're very delicious. So this is uh, Evan Padua and Sweetwater Guide Service out here on the Upper Delaware bringing you your Hooked On Fishing Report. Uh, be sure if you're winter fishing, whether you're on the ice or fishing open water uh, to be safe, wear an inflatable PFD or a PFD life jacket. This is Evan Padua with Hooked On Fishing signing off and I'm getting the net. Good morning. This is Stephanie Phillips with Now You Know for Farm and Country. This morning, my guests are Nadia and Omawale Odewale from Liberation Farm in Jeffersonville. The farm has special goals related to the black community. My name is Nadia Mohib Odewale. I was born and raised in New York. New York City? Born in the Bronx and grew up in Queens. Um, I'm an artist. I'm a mom a farmer, an organizer. Do you have little kids or big kids? Well, my kids are grown. My youngest is 18. <laughs> Those are big. Yeah. That's big. And Omawale? Yes. I'm a father of three. I have a 21-year-old. My youngest is 13. He just turned 13. And they're living on the farm with you? They don't live on the farm. <laughs> they love coming to visit the farm. And besides that, I'm a book author. I have two vegan books, An Introduction to Veganism and Agricultural Globalism, and Brother Vegan. Brother Vegan. Correct. And where did you grow up? I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, Crown Heights. So you've got most of the boroughs in New York. <laughs> Correct. <laughs> I, I lived in most of them and worked in all. <laughs> so you didn't have a farming background, neither of you. No, we didn't come out of a farm, but we came from growing, growing communities, growing food. It, that's the big reason why we're at this larger space trying to cultivate and grow food and grow our community because we don't have that access. And anytime you miss that aspect, then you really throw a lot of history away. So we're reconnecting and explaining exactly why do we have a black space so I want to clarify first, we talk about black space for black culture the same way as opening up and, and explaining that we don't have that type of access. That's a small percentage. We don't even have 1.5% of this land, of agricultural land. So that's a lot of land that we want to hold on to. That's a lot of land that we want to utilize in, in the most cultural way uh, possible to educate, to show folks exactly what Nadia said, but also so people see themselves in the soil. So people see themselves that not only is that possible for them to do this, but also so they actually participate in a black space and it is their culture that is communicating with them. As much as we feel that that happens, that doesn't happen that often because just look at it in terms of work. It's not that much social time that's really lent to our community. 
to be ourselves, to be in our spaces. And as a lot of that is just a lack of resources and lack of farm spaces. Nadi was saying a statistic. It's about like know, in New York State, it's only about 140 black farmers. Are there right. any in this area except for you? There's there's some. There's Kings of Glory King, Farms, Kings of Glory. Right. which is about 30 minutes from us. There's Soul Fire Farm, which is about two two hours, two and a half hours right. maybe from us. So they are farmers, they're, black farmers. But the contrast of other farmers, of white farmers, is... Oh, is, so is oh, about yeah, 60,000. There's but, about 60,000 in right. New York alone. 60,000. And that says who <laughs> USDA, you know, giving um, resources to as well. That's been in, in the media quite a bit. A significant period of time where there's not been any resources, land hasn't been acquired, land has been lost over these years. Black uh, and, farmers and black, are getting black farmers. Um, black farmers are getting turned down at thir- at about forty something percent for USDA loans grants, and only nine percent of white farmers are getting turned down. Right. Also, why do we cultivate vegetables, nuts, fruit, and why do we want it to be organic and local? Why does it make so much more sense for us to in- invest in the healthiest food that we could possibly do, which are beets and garlic for your heart? For two reasons. Heart disease is number one killer and garlic and beets have the power to lower your hypertension. I've had hypertension since I was 15. And so I've learned right. that. But also because our community needs it that much more. So if we don't have access to food or to land, then the problem becomes how do we get these resources if there's short food supply? We heard about that with supermarkets not having certain produce. That's going to hurt uh, demographics who do not own land that much more, who do not have the ownership to food. So someone who, who did grow up in a farm or do have the resources and access in urban or suburban community, then it'd be tough for them to understand that from that perspective Often it could be different class, different race, just different cultural background. So we try to make that clear. That's why it's so important. Just our land becomes that much more precious. And I'm sure that indigenous people would value that land that important as well. Everything you grow, everything you build starts off from your land. Now, wait a minute. You said you were growing things in Brooklyn. Was it? Were you growing communities or were you growing food or were you just been, growing flowers? Well, I've been growing food since just having a, a gleaning background in, in terms of just gleaning with farms in Massachusetts, Wasaic, New York, parts of Vermont. Just we're organizing communities where we could get the food. I've been a manager at Green Market. That is the largest farmer's market within New York City. So... Which market is that that you were? That is Green Market. Green Market. Like that's literally where anyone who's growing in New York State, they would love to have their consumer market be New York City. If they can invest money into fuel, then they would make it to New York City to sell to uh, to folks who do not have access to large parcels of land to grow their own vegetables. So that's a huge benefit. Where is the Green Market? I'm beginning to think you, you're you not familiar with Green Market. No, I'm not a city oh, okay. person. Okay, you're not a city person. But the, if you ask any farmer that's up here, they know Green Market. And so if they have anywhere of 20 acres or more, they definitely would love to sell to New York City. I mean, it's, it's 8 million people. 
<laughs> in a small space, right, who lacked the resources and the access to a large piece of land to grow the particular food supply that's necessary. So where uh, is it real? Unless they go to a supermarket, and supermarkets do not have <laughs> fresh produce. <laughs> yeah. So where is it actually? Is it in the lower Manhattan? Oh, it's distributed throughout the five boroughs. That's how wide um, Green Market is. It's in all the five boroughs. There's other markets as well that we work with now. Bronx Park East, which is a CSA, but it is also a farmer's market. It's a much smaller one. Bergen Market is just massive. It's in Union Square. You're talking about incredible access to just organic food. And I'm talking about people who know it's local and in New York State. They don't need the organic fixture because most of the families are going to utilize local vegetation. So, uh, so Green Market is like a distributor. It's not an actual physical place. No, it's an actual market. It's a market. So you're familiar with farmers markets, right? Yeah. So the farmers markets are in New York City. What I'm saying is that if like farmers markets, if you were talking about the largest ones, they were, that's New York City. That's Green Market. That's the farmers market because it's a farmers market in different, but it, right. they have locations in all five boroughs. Right. Physical locations like Union Square is probably still running right now. It would close at some point, but it's usually the, the last one. And that's because that's where they get most of their sales. Most of the farmers will get their sales from there. There's a reason why they, they come all the way down <laughs> to the city, but not everyone can. But they'll come down to the city and pay those exorbitant fees, transportation fees in terms of fuel, just in terms of um, tolls, bridges and tunnels, only to get to New York City. Because when I'm there, I'm looking for a farmer's market. Before I became a farmer, I'm like, anytime I come into contact with farmers in New York State, I'm like, great. I already know the produce going to be quality. So I know it's local. If they're able to depend on New York City, someone so close and within New York State, it's a huge win-win. That's the CSA. That's what the CSA really is about. It's community-supported agriculture, and they get a lot of support from New York City in terms of consumers, and the con consumers in New York City have so much support in terms of quality vegetation, fruits, nuts, things that you won't be able to access within New York City. So the farmers out here can make contact? Is there a way of getting their produce out to the city? Oh, definitely. All the time. Sometimes they just call Green Market. If you were to go online and, and, and just go to, to, to Green Market or Grow NYC, this under Grow NYC, you'll see there's, there's a entire system out there. There's a huge part of the food system and people who shop local and shop at farmer's market, usually they believe and they trust their farmer because that is a direct source. I go to a supermarket. I might not know exactly how this uh, this broccoli was grown. Did it have pesticides? What type of pesticides did it have? And is it GMO or non-GMO? I can ask the, the farmer directly there or within one person of him, one, one or two pe people of the farmer terms of representatives and I can get accurate information where I, I couldn't get that somewhere else. And the farmer and, and they will tell. Where did they how did they treat this? And we don't know in the Walmart where we don't that know. <laughs> right. where that where that uh, banana came from. Right. Right. Um <laughs> Wally, who who founded this farm and when was it? Well, Nadia and I we founded this base. This is something in, in coming up here 
Nadia really was like, I was okay with being in an apartment to an extent. <laughs> I had born and raised in, inside of a house. And I'm like, that, that's just so many responsibilities. <laughs> right. But it's also a downside to it as, as well. And she explained, we need space. Right. We need space. We need growing space for ourselves, for the children we already have. We have six uh, between both of us. And we want to grow food. We want to know what's in the food, and we feel like we have answers within the food system. Otherwise, we wouldn't participate. So we got here in November no, 20, 2020. Yeah. We were here. Uh, been about a year last November? Yeah. No, November no, no. 2020. So we've been oh, here about two years. Two years. Right, yeah. right, right. And we moved super fast. We started growing last year. We had a uh, greenhouse. greenhouse. We started in a greenhouse first. This year is when we started really planting in ground. Growing. Nadia, can you tell us where exactly you're located and how big the farm is? Um, we are in Jeffersonville, New York, and we are in Hessinger and Lair. Farms are a little over 17 acres. Right. And we've been growing on about acre and a half, two acres of land. Isn't it rocky? It's very rocky. <laughs> <laughs> I, I notice a few rocks around here. Yes. When I started to till in the um, greenhouse, wow. <laughs> right. There's a lot of rocks. Yeah. Right. But the soil is, it's also bloomy, definitely navigates quite well, but it's a lot of rocks. Right. <laughs> I'm growing rocks basically at this point. <laughs> yes, I know that. And what motivated you to focus on farming for blacks in particular? And what do you hope to achieve by doing that? Um, to get people to be more involved in food sovereignty work, growing their own food, also understanding where the vegetables come from, being a part of the growth of providing for your community, educating. How do you reach out to reach your community? Do you do it on social media? Do you have events? Do you go into the city? Well, we do have events. We started Black Veg Fest in 2018. And that's only one of the ways that we can reach out to our community. In 2018, we brought about 2,000 people. What's what is it? Was it exactly? It's Black Veg Fest. Black Veg Fest is it's a uh, vegan festival that we hold in Brooklyn. Right. That's that's uh -huh. that's so you do go back community. into the city. Oh yes, definitely. To oh. find the people that you're trying to. <laughs> right. Right. Um, right. This recruit. is what we were doing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Since 2018. In 2019, Definitely. we had over 6,000 people, and after COVID, we still continued to do the same work. Right. And each year, we brought about around 2,000 people to our festivals after COVID. So that's get some of the ways we get to our communities. But we also Instagram. We have an Instagram following, right. uh, Facebook. We have our website. Right. Interviews like this. So right. word of mouth. Mm-hmm. So now you know where to learn about farming with healthy goals. My guests this morning have been Omawali and Nadia Adewale from Liberation Farm in Jeffersonville. Send me your comments and suggestions for Now You Know by emailing stephanie at wjffradio.org. This has been Stephanie Phillips for Farm and Country.
hope that you enjoyed our show this week with production by Radio Catskill volunteers Keith Hubbard, Christine San Jose, Evan Padua, and Stephanie Phillips. Special thanks goes to our guests, Nadia and Amawali from Liberation Farm in Jeffersonville, New York. This has been your host, Rosie Starr. Thanks for listening local to Farm and Country and supporting Radio Catskill, public radio for the Catskills and Northeast Pennsylvania. Support for Farm and Country comes from Damascus Citizens for Sustainability, a community-supported, science-based nonprofit taking legal actions, providing tools for action, and raising awareness of fracking damage since 2008, proactively protecting public health in the Delaware River Basin and beyond. DamascusCitizens.org This is Ira Glass of This American Life. Every week on our show, we apply the tools of journalism to stories that are so small and personal, journalists normally would not cover them. It was my forged signature, and it was my boyfriend's handwriting. Or we look at stories that are big. Refugees, school segregation in America, the split in the Republican Party. Climbing out from the smoking ruin and say, anybody else alive around here? And find surprising personal stories there, too. This American Life. Saturday at 6 on Radio Catskill. Support for Radio Catskill comes from 